Welcome to the SUSS series of podcasts, where we explore ideas, solutions, and collaborations that are making a difference in the lives of individuals, families, communities, and beyond. This series features guests who will discuss how we can achieve social impact for the greater good, no matter how big or small. Previously on SUSS Podcast. You know, Victor, I was just thinking about internet search engines. The way they are designed, the algorithms, they sort of give you exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, and social media as well. Exactly. These platforms. I mean, if you're looking for, let's say, cat videos, mm. you're going to get cat videos and more. Yes. Right. And it's not only that. The algorithm actually remembers that this is what you like, mm. gives you more of that, and the kind of people in the social network that yep. also like cat videos. Yes. Yeah, but we're not talking about cat videos here. We're talking <laughs> about rather dangerous stuff. Dangerous yes. ideas So all you need Is basically a teenager Who's sort of Exploring Let's say Certain dangerous drugs mm. Eventually They're getting very creative They're getting very clever With this mm. They know how to find These somewhat Hidden countercultures On the internet yes. They're not that Difficult to find yes. Because the algorithm Is actually helping them Yes It is feeding them So what can we do About this yeah, it's really tricky because, you know, obviously these companies have a financial imperative to do this, right? You know, the more time we engage on these platforms, the better for them in some ways. And also there are some psychological... I don't know if I'm going to give you a solution, to be honest, but I'll add on to the problem. No, please. <laughs> yes. So one might be confirmation bias. Right. So we seek out information that supports and confirms our beliefs. And when we're confronted or we ignore competing contradictory information, I think that really adds to the echo chamber. So Social media right. knows, so Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, they know that you like this stuff. They know that the people around you or people who like this would also like certain things. And so, like you said, they form a community around it. And the underlying driving psychological principle there, I think one of them is confirmation bias. That is not an easy thing to get out of, confirmation bias. Yes. But I heard there was one initiative happening globally. Mm. I think it was by Moonshot CVE called the Redirect Program. So mm. what they're trying to do to sort of address this confirmation bias, and it's a work in progress, yes. is that let's say you're looking for certain counterculture in information yeah. you're going to find it yep. but the search engine now has another element to its algorithm okay. in which it actually puts positive information at the same time wow yes yes right so yep. let's say you're looking for things that actually denigrate a certain community mm. and you get all those kind of narratives yeah at the same time it actually gives you counter narratives yes to that kind of hate speech right and not only that what they are trying to do is whenever you have certain closed counterculture communities that are spreading harmful ideas mm. they are trying to find ways in which that's the whole idea you're redirecting them towards positive Right. Fact check information Right, right. So these algorithms can be something for good Ooh. They're working on this yes. And one of the things they are trying to do I realize for extremist communities Is that they are putting ads for mental health Wow It's got nothing to do with hate speech <laughs> It's got nothing to do with attacking the ideology yes. Countering it or anything like that yes. But it's just saying if you feel like you're all alone, yes. if you feel like you're facing all these problems, yes. there's a way around it. You're not alone. That's a and it's amazing because some of them who are sort of looking for hate speech information, yes. they're actually turning towards these mental health resources. That's which brilliant. sort of makes me wonder, that's what they need. They wanted mm. help in the first place and yes. they found it in all the wrong places. <laughs> well, I guess that's a positive ending for them. Well, it's a work in progress, but you're very correct about this thing about confirmation bias. It's something that we need more research into. Mm. 
That's right. You know, it's one thing when this kind of harmful information is coming from a stranger. Yeah. But it's coming from sometimes people within their own family. Yeah. Their own close friends over their smartphone devices, over yes. these messaging apps and so yes. on. And it's like, it's my best buddy who is telling me this. Yeah. How do you get someone to listen to people outside of their network, outside of those close, trusted relationships before that i've been cutting my hair with the same barber for many years i know you're gonna joke about the hair cutting (laughs) i like the guy you know he's fantastic he's really hardworking. but that day when he was cutting my hair he started telling me about some anti-vax i what i'm serious yeah i'm getting worried now where i'm gonna go cut my hair (laughs) yeah okay anyway yes so what was he saying i mean i don't want to sort of be an echo chamber you know i don't want to echo that but it's the same sort of pseudoscience you know the really dangerous stuff because it's built on some form of truth and i think that's the real danger it's not Mm. absolute rubbish they sort of lean on one or two medical expert yeah they cherry pick they they sort of take things out of context so how do we help someone like that? How do we engage with them? How do we get them to talk to someone outside? To be honest, I think that's really difficult. Much easier for us because of that small psychological distance. Right. If it's your barber, or if it's your friend, they are someone close to you. So they're more likely to be receptive. You see this in health messages. You no longer see this top-down approach. More and more, you have this sort of peer-to-peer engagement. Right, right, right. So you as a trusted family member, you as a good friend, you as a buddy, you actually have a much higher chance of maybe not persuading obviously we talked about this earlier you can't fight disinformation with more information yeah it's just like you say I say you know exactly but we need to leverage on that relationship so I think that's the first step I think what you're getting at in Mm. some ways is to find advocates within that same community to be your own voice yes Wow, that's a very novel idea. But I'm just wondering, how do we find advocates that Mm. can speak for us? Do we try to join that community of sorts? I mean, Mm. do we try to get to know that social circle better and sort of be involved in it and then find advocates that can befriend us and become our voices? Is that what we should do first? You know, often you think about terrorism, right? It's funny that I'm talking about terrorism because, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but you know something? It's a lot of translatable points. Yes, yes. You know, those ex, what do you call them? Formers. Um, Yeah, the formers. So that's, I think, a really key source of influence. Someone who's actually gone to the same channels they've been, spoke the same languages, they were them. And they offer this chance of a redemption. It's not just one directional. You can actually come out. And I was exactly like you. And I'm out. So I think that's a really powerful source. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, if you were to translate that same idea of using formers from a, let's say, terrorist organization Mm. to speak against that organization and how uh, the dangers of getting into that kind of ideology, there are a number of people who actually came out of conspiracy groups. Yes. The number of people came out of QAnon. Yes. And I even heard one news report in which the parents of a child were actually very ardent anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists. Yes. And the teenager actually did not believe them. Yes. And came out of it and became an advocate against these conspiracy theories. Yes. And it's interesting because if we could identify them, Mm. and amplify their voices. Yes, that's the key word, amplify their voices. Yeah, Yeah, that might be a very effective strategy. Mm. So we really need to understand where these echo chambers exist and understand how they're working, how they're basically attracting youth into their online communities. Mm. Are there actually more external factors, forces that are playing an overwhelming influence? While you're talking about this, I was thinking we shouldn't go from one extreme to the other. 
we shouldn't try to prevent access to digital screens and time online. It's quite tricky because there's really no one-size-fits-all solution. I think attempting to address these influences in itself is an attempt to influence, if you think about it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and really there are two broad reasons why we resist influence and persuasion from a psychology point of view. So the first is they don't like the how of the influence. They mm. don't like how the message is conveyed. They don't like the influence agent. You know, I just don't like the person. Or I don't like how they're talking about this. So that's something that when we try to persuade, we really have to think about it. How are we coming across? You mean it's sort of like an authority figure telling them what to do? Yes. Yes. Often that's the case. But nobody likes that. <laughs> nobody likes that. And nowadays, we are coming to a realization that if you're talking to an anti-vaxxer, you can't just bombard them with facts. That's not going to work. It is definitely not working. We've mm. seen that, you know. Yes. yes. Right. And it seems like the more you bombard them mm. with facts yes. and clarifications yes. from the authority, the more they're saying... I'm not going to listen to that. Correct. You're mainstream media. You're part of the... Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess we are. <laughs> so, there are evidently clear and very present dangers in all this. So, how do you think some of these influences can actually be addressed? Again, if we think of why people resist persuasion, one is they don't like how the message is conveyed and the other is they don't like the content of the message. We first need to recognize, are they ready to engage with the issues? If they're not, then we really should focus on whether they like the message, that they like how the message is conveyed. So in order for us to even listen to the message, we need to be clear, we need to have the message be accepted. We need them to actually want to listen to the message. That's the first step. So I think often, going back to that point, we're trying to fight all these conspiracy theories with facts, but that's not effective because they're not even ready to engage with the facts. I think that's a very, very pertinent point you brought up. This thing about making sure they are actually ready to engage these issues. There is no point in talking to someone who's already closed off. Yes. So I would think it's a lot about trust building, building that kind of relationship with them yep. in which you sort of like create a common platform or a space, a middle ground mm. in which they are ready to talk about these issues yes. and even listen to you. Yes, And yes. I think that's a lot of groundwork making yes. stuff. You've got to settle the ground on that first mm. before you even think about the kind of content yes. you would want to bring in. Yes, yes, yeah. that's true. And I was just thinking about the future. We say that all oh, digital device use has been on the rise. So how do you see that rise? How would it shape use in the community and in society for the near future? Well, there are two things that are happening now, before COVID yeah. and after COVID. Yes. So let's talk about before COVID. Yes. There was actually a push towards getting people using the devices, using electronic mediums, but getting them to interact in the real world. Mm. So in other words, it is a platform to bring people together in the real world. Right. So there were people were thinking, is there a way we can actually fuse these two mediums, you know, real yes. world interactions and electronic platforms? But COVID came along mm. and this part about real world, yeah, yeah, that sort of took a backseat. <laughs> and this is kind of sad because it has created a kind of dynamic in which we are now getting this whole idea of working from home, home-based learning. It's all becoming so normalized. Mm. I think one of the things that need to be done is that we need to keep in mind as much as we are all connected via these devices right now, mm. we must never forget that as people, mm. we do need that face-to-face, -face, yes. those real-world interactions. And this is something that will come back again. Yep. And we should always create a little space for that to flourish when the time comes. Mm. Yep. So thank you very much, Victor. This has been a 
incredible conversation and I think two of the most important takeaways from this conversation that we had was firstly what you mentioned about those echo chambers. Mm. We really need to understand them. Yeah. How are they attracting our youth and so on? And I really love that point you mentioned about you got to wait for them to be ready to engage on these issues. You can't just bombard them with these counterfacts and everything. You've got to lay the groundwork. Yes. And I think this is one area we need to look more towards and spend more energy towards. And I think that is a direction we'll probably be taking in the future. Thank you very much, Victor. And thank you for joining me on this show. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the SUSS series of podcasts. To find more episodes, visit suss.edu.sg slash podcast.